Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Online, on DAB and on the talk radio app. Talk Radio. Delighted to welcome now the Business Secretary, Alex Sharma, to the show. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, now, obviously, you want to be talking about uh, the uh, uh, government's start-up loans. They've passed 75,000 of them, uh, marking more than £623 million being invested in British start-ups. Um, tell us the sort, of, uh, the sort of thing these loans have been used for. Well, look, I, mean, I think this has been an incredibly uh, successful programme, uh, Julia, and um, it's targeting funding at uh, those entrepreneurs who might find it uh, difficult and might struggle actually to get financing from more uh, traditional sources. Uh, and um, we've had 75,000 individuals who have benefited from across the country. Uh, and if you look at the statistics, uh, uh, 40% of the recipients have been female entrepreneurs, uh, 20% have been people from ethnic minority backgrounds. And actually, very interestingly, a third were individuals who were unemployed when they applied for a, a loan. And it's made a real difference uh, to them in terms of uh, creating prosperity, in terms of creating employment uh, as employers themselves. Uh, and I think one of the, the key features of these startup loans is that not only do you get support in putting together your business plan, but actually once you get a loan, you also get mentoring support, which in many ways is as important, and some might, people might say even more important than actually the funding that you're receiving. Yeah, I was going to say, I was, I was going to start up a business like that. I'm not sure I'd even know where to start. Why do you think that, I mean, you mentioned the number of women, percentage of women who are getting these loans and, and ethnic minorities. Why do you think those particular categories are unable to get loans from banks? Well, I think it'll, it'll depend on people's sort of individual circumstances. As I said, uh, you know, a third of the, the people who've received loans through this scheme uh, were, were unemployed when they applied for, for a loan. And I think uh, uh, a lot of lenders may well be looking for uh, secured lending. Uh, these are unsecured loans. Uh, there are competitive interest rates. And that's why they are so attractive for people looking to start up a business. And I said, you know, 75,000 people benefiting from across the country uh, made a real difference to their lives and, of course, the lives of people that they employ. Um, and so how many people did they go on to employ? How successful were their businesses? Do we got, You've got a record of how much of taxpayers' money was, was spent, uh, you know, spent offering these loans. Um, how, how, what's the rate of return and, and, and how many of these businesses have been successful and how many people are employing? 
Well, uh, so in, in terms of uh, the, the, the money that's been, been paid back, uh, we've had uh, around £270 million of the debt that's been repaid to the taxpayer since uh, 2012. Uh, as you know, these loans are, are up to five years. Uh, and actually, that money has been recycled uh, into providing further loans and, and support uh, to, to new individuals. And if you look at the survival rate, uh, Julia, of uh, businesses that receive these loans, uh, it is on average higher uh, than overall uh, businesses, which I think is, is, is very good news. And I think part of the reason for that is because of that mentoring support, that really important and vital mentoring support that they receive. OK, getting people uh, you know, back back uh, on, on their uh, on their feet, uh, obviously very crucial, particularly at this time with the economic chaos we're living in right now. Um, I'm going to be asking you about masks and the like at school in just a few moments, but kids are hopefully going back to school in England uh, next week. Um, when are we going to be getting our office workers back? Um, in terms of your business department, what percentage of the staff in your business department, whether political appointees or civil servants are currently back in the workplace? Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, if you if you look at the advice that we've uh, put out until relatively recently was that, uh, you know, if you were able to work from home, you should. Uh, of course, lots of people are not able to work from home and millions have been back in the, in the workplace and we've worked with uh, uh, employers, with employer representatives, with trade unions to uh, put together guidance on how you keep uh, workplaces safe, how you keep them COVID secure, and that's uh, enabled people to come back. Uh, in terms of uh, the advice on office working, of course, that's changed recently, Judy. So we've said to people, talk to your employer now, uh, come to a, a, an agreement with them. Uh, lots of employers uh, are showing a lot of flexibility, uh, telling people that uh, you know part of the time can be a, a working from home, part of it in the office. In terms of uh, my own department, uh, uh, we've had uh, you know, a relatively small number of people who've been uh, working from the office. I've been in uh, a lot of the time. Uh, my uh, more immediate uh, staff have also been uh, in. Uh, but uh, what we're now doing is having that conversation with our uh, employees. And actually, there are lots of people who, who would like to come back because they'll be in a, in a home setting where they perhaps don't have enough space and they want to come back into the office. And, you know, as, as uh, human beings, we are kind of pack creatures. Uh, and there are lots of interactions that you can do very successfully online. But at the end of the day, uh, as part of team building in terms of integrating new people into a team, you need to do that uh, through uh, physical working. The key thing, though, is that uh, we keep workplaces safe. And so in my own department, of course, we've been uh, following our own guidance uh, in terms of preparing the workplace yeah. where people come back in September. I just see a lot of people who are listening to this will be wondering, you know, how on earth we are going to get our economy moving again and, and, and you know, people getting you know, British business bank startup loans to run businesses if no one is leaving their homes uh, and, uh, and if the government can't even get their own staff to be at work, how on earth do we expect everyone else to? Yeah, well, I think we, we will be seeing uh, more civil servants. I mean, certainly from, from my department's perspective, I know that there are uh, lots of people who want to come back. Uh, I think the key thing is that uh, we have the workplace safe uh, and that we have well, I'm, that. I'm back in the workplace. I'm, I'm, there's loads of people walking past me. It's all perfectly safe. We've got the masks. We've got the hand sanitizer. We've got the, you know, the one-way systems and the, the plastic screens around the desk. It's perfectly possible to make a, a workplace safe. Why haven't you got, I mean, we, this, started in, this started in March, for goodness sake. Why have you not got your workplace safe so people can come back to work? Well, so the workplace is safe. And I, well, I'm, then why I'm aren't they back at work? Well, well I'm, I'm delighted, Julia, that, that you know, in your workplace, you're following all the guidance, which is which is very good news. And uh, you know, we've done the same in this department. As I said, the, the advice has changed relatively recently. Um, and so, Isn't you know, it we July? Well, Didn't your we guidance change in July? It's the 25th yeah. of August. 
in, indeed, as I said, we've seen uh, more people come back, and I am confident uh, that we will see a lot more coming back okay. in September. Uh, you know, particularly as the the uh, the August holidays uh, come to an end, uh, as kids go I back to mean, school. I think we will it's see, not, it's, we will it's see really, more people. It's come really, back. it's really nice of the civil servants to bother to go back to the workplace. I mean, how generous of them on, on the public uh, payroll. Um, how, how, how good of them? Let's 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 talk let's talk about schools. Let's... One point in terms of that is that actually um, uh, lots of civil servants have been working incredibly hard. I mean, lots of office work has been working they incredibly have. hard from home. Uh, but, you, but you're right. I mean, I certainly want to see more people back in the office, but I'm confident that we will see more uh, coming back in, if, in September. If, if, everyone, if everyone can work from home so efficiently, you try getting through to your bank or your local council or anyone else and you will find they ain't working efficiently. It's a load of absolute nonsense. People need to be back in the workplace. We need to get our economy going. Everyone's got to stop this pretense that everyone is working really efficiently at home. They really aren't. Let's talk about getting kids back to school because that's a crucial part of getting business up and running. Kids are back in school. Parents haven't got an excuse to be being at home. Uh, in the last few moments, it has been confirmed in Scotland that, as hinted at by Nicola Sturgeon, the First Minister there yesterday, face coverings will be mandatory in all secondary schools uh, in Scotland uh, for walking in corridors or any communal spaces not within the classroom. Uh, should England follow suit when schools return next week? Yeah, well, I mean, look, we followed the, the scientific and medical advice throughout this, this whole period, uh, and that's the same when it comes to schools. And uh, the, the view from Public Health England currently is that they don't recommend face coverings in schools. But of course, look, we'll, we'll continue to consider the latest, latest advice, the evidence, uh, and uh, you know, follow the advice that comes from Public Health England. But I said their current advice is that it's not recommended to wear face coverings in schools. And, and the reason for that is because uh, pupils and, and, and staff are mixing in consistent groups. Uh, we've working with Public Health England have provided uh, guidance in terms of how you keep uh, schools uh, uh, safe and secure. And actually, schools have gone to enormous lengths to ensure that they are safe places for pupils uh, and, and staff as well. Uh, and uh, I'm confident that we will see uh, pupils coming back to school in September in England. Um, well, I certainly hope so. Um, how soon do you think there'll be a U-turn? Because it does seem whenever the government says we're definitely going to do this, um, we seem to see a U-turn about, well, usually about a week later. Should we, I mean, realistically, how soon are you going to U-turn on face masks? Well, as I said, I think what's important that we continue to follow the the uh, uh, medical advice, and um, uh, you know we, we will do that. Uh, and uh, obviously, we have to look at the latest uh, evidence as well. And Public Health England will do that. I, I think it's really important uh, that you know, uh, and you've seen this throughout. Um, uh, yes, there have been changes, but that's based on the advice that we are getting. But right now, um, Public Health England has said that uh, their current advice is that they're not recommending the wearing of face masks. Yeah. You, you will assume, Julia, as well, that the statement that has come from the chief medical officers and deputy chief yep. medical officers in the last couple of days, and they've said the risk of contracting uh, COVID in schools is is very, very small. Uh, and so you have to, to balance all the advice. But I said we will continue to take that advice and keep things under review, talking to public Absolutely. health. Hey, I'd never have closed the school, closed the school, Mr. Sharma. Let's talk about finally about this ongoing row about the so-called decolonisation of our British culture. Uh, BBC last night of the proms is now going to feature Royal Britannia and Land of Hope and Glory, but only as an orchestral performance, not sung uh, without any of the lyrics, because apparently uh, some of those lyrics are racist. Um, do you find uh, Royal Britannia and Land of Hope and Glory unacceptably offensive and racist? 
Well, look, I, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think the last time of the proms brings huge amounts of pleasure to millions of people across the country. And I personally have always thought it's a very joyful occasion. And it's really going to be pretty strange this year without that public audience. I mean, my personal view on this is that, um, you know, I, I would like to see uh, all the lyrics used. And actually, it's entirely possible for the BBC to put uh, the, the, the lyrics up as subtitles on, on, on the TV if people want to join in. Um, do you think the BBC is then wrong? Uh, well, I, I just reiterate what the Prime Minister said yesterday is that, um, you know, we need to tackle the substance of problems and not the symbols. Uh, I mean, as I've said to you, that this is something that uh, provides pleasure to millions of, of, of people across our country. And I, on a personal level, have always found it to be an incredibly joyful occasion. And I'm looking forward to the point at which we will be able to come back. We will have uh, uh, a live audience again. People will be able to uh, sing with gusto uh, all the songs that we enjoyed over the years. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Well, yesterday, Nicola Sturgeon, the First Minister of Scotland, signalled that over 12s uh, could well be made to wear face masks in their schools. Uh, she suggested they could be uh, wearing them when they're particularly walking around the school, in corridors, in other communal spaces, not necessarily in the classroom, although we know that some schools uh, and some unions have uh, said they should be in the classroom. Well, let's talk about all of this with Jeff Barton. He's General Secretary of the Association of School and College Leaders. Good morning to you, Jeff. Good morning, Julia. Always happy to speak to you. Um, very simple question. Should children be wearing face masks in school? Well, Julia, although I uh, have a certain amount of expertise on things like pedagogy and the curriculum and the way schools run, face masks, I have to say, is not an area of expertise. And yet, the people I represent, 20,000 head teachers, deputies, it's the question they are most often now getting asked by parents. And of course, the cat's been thrown amongst the proverbial pigeons in Scotland. We know that in France and other places, young people have had to wear face masks. Frankly, I really hope not, because all of those years as a head teacher telling children to tuck their shirts in and do the ties up, if we then have to add to it, put your face mask on, yeah. we could really do without it. But I think there is a need 
if only for public reassurance, to be clear one way or the other. And this is the worry, isn't it, that actually a lot of the mask wearing, I wear my mask, I don't understand the people who think that it's a major libertarian issue uh, not being forced to wear a face mask in a shop or on public transport. Um, I I don't think it's the biggest infringement. I'd rather not, but if that's the rule, that's the rule. And even if it's just there just to reassure people, I can understand it. But that's for a short period of time. I don't know about you, I try not to spend more than 20 minutes or half an hour in a supermarket or uh, most people are not going on a lot of long journeys right now. But school day, all day, every day, you know, 8.30, 8.45 through to 3.30, 4 o'clock, that's a long time for pupils to wear masks if it was all day. If it's just walking around the corridors, then that perhaps not so much bother. However, you then get into the questions about whether or not it's even healthy for children to be, you know, you, let's face it, I mean, the, the state of my child's hands when she comes in from school, I'm, I'm just like, she walks to the door, wash your hands now. There's, whatever they're sticky with, I don't want to know what it is. Even if they're using all the sanitizer and things, they're, they're going to be putting masks on and off constantly constantly every 45 minutes every hour um that's not going to be healthy either in which case it's easier presumably for them not to wear masks at all and that's what the original um advice from the government actually was saying from the westminster government it was saying not just that um the wearing of a mask isn't helpful it was actually saying that it was unhelpful and the reason it's unhelpful is what you're outlining there that actually it undermines other forms of hygiene because you've got a young person constantly touching the mask yeah. moving it around their face putting it in their pocket when they go into a classroom it, it, it actually becomes a big distraction. But it's a question we're constantly being asked. I think it's reasonable one to see whether, because of the World Health Organization, because of Scotland, is there going to be a change from uh, number 10 and the Department for Education? And if there is, could we have that change of plan now rather than a yeah. day before we go back to school? Indeed, it might be rather useful for parents as well. And in terms of teachers wearing them, um, I would have thought, OK, that there's understanding that teachers often will wear masks and uh, and even have the, the visors as well. And we, uh, even though we know, of course, that teachers are at greater risk in the, in the staff room from other teachers than they are from children in the classroom. And this has been very well documented in every uh, school scenario around the world where schools have come back. Um, I'm not sure it's tenable for teachers to wear a face mask because so much of communication is in facial expression so much is uh, is in you the clarity when you've got a face mask on it does actually muffle your speech a lot of the children who perhaps don't have the best hearing uh, might find it difficult to concentrate when they can't see the teacher's mouth um, would you endorse teachers wearing them Again, it's not an area of expertise, but I do know that there are schools and particularly some colleges I know about where they are talking about teachers having visors, Mm. because I think the thinking is with a visor, you can still see the teacher articulating and so on and so forth. I I, I just think it would be really helpful if we could rule this out or indeed rule it in. So if we do have to police this on the corridors of the nation's schools, at least we're braced to do that. And if it can be ruled out, I think many people would say that seems eminently sensible. But you can understand a parent saying, well, my child has to wear one of these things on the bus and when they go into the news agent they're going to be in a year group potentially of 350 young people mm. why should they have to wear them in Scotland and why not in England so it's it seems to me it's a reasonable question to be asking yeah indeed uh, look there does seem to be quite a lot of concern still from an, an awful lot of parents and we were discussing on the show yesterday you know, why why is there still such a question mark for so many parents about schools returning we saw what the chief medical officer Chris Whitty had to say uh, on on Sunday about how safe it was I and mean, we know the stats I mean the, the chances of a child catching it in school and the chance of a child even catching coronavirus uh, to the extent that anyone would even see a symptom let alone they'd be hospitalized let alone they would be end up in ICU or or god forbid dying are infinitesimally small uh, and yet so many parents who frankly are less concerned about their child you know looking at their phone when they cross the road
road, which is my biggest number one concern is road crossing for my child. Um, just looking at the stats, what what is likely to kill her? That is what's likely to kill her, not coronavirus. I genuinely, I don't worry for a nanosecond about my child's safety going into school. Why are so many parents and teachers still so worried? The, the bit about parents is the bit that surprises me, if I'm honest, because I think we have had all those reassuring messages and they come from people who are themselves reassuring, Chris yeah. Whitty and other people. The most, yet, trusted, yes, most trusted person absolutely. in the country when it comes to yet, uh, the, yes, the public. Yesterday, people, people who, who don't know me, frankly, sent me some pretty vociferous emails saying, who do you think you are encouraging young people to be going back to school? I'm worried about my child. They should be in kind of rotors one week on, week, one week off. And I'm not in any way belittling those sentiments because I think they're absolutely genuine. But it is a sign of a level of anxiety from parents, which is why this thing about face masks, which in a sense could seem trivial to us, clearly isn't trivial in the world of some parents. And I just think this is a period when we simply need to keep reassuring parents, not just about the science, but also about the planning, the logistics and the plan B, if it is the case that a school were to have to close and how would we communicate that, which young people might be in school, all of that stuff, which I'm sure people would prefer not to have to think about we do have to think about it. And what do you make of this idea that it's a battle between the Tory government and teaching unions? And I was defending you know, teaching unions, and I was thinking actually specifically of yours um, uh, when a conversation a little bit earlier on the show. Um, there are some, you know, let's not name names. National Education Union. There are, there are, there are some more unions more very much on the hard left. Very much sort of, they're, they're, you know, their raison d'etre is less about teachers and pe- pupils. It's more about hating a Tory government, and that's that's their thing. Um, your union seems to me to have been has been very practical throughout this and is looking at solutions rather than roadblocks throughout and, and trying to make things happen. Um, how do you feel at the at the uh, Association of School and College Leaders about the idea that this has been set up as a sort of teachers and teaching unions versus the 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 parents and the and and the government and that that the idea that this is a battle between those sort of two groups? I think it's very regrettable at a time of national crisis. It ought to be that government is working with the profession and you know the, the very same people in the very same teacher unions working with the Welsh government, for example, where every child was able to have an opportunity to go back to school before the summer holiday because there was a constructive approach to doing that and making it happen. That demonstrates, I think, that there has been a certain level of caricaturing the unions as being against all of this process. They're not. But even when I say... Is there a plan B? What happens in the case of a local lockdown? How do we make sure young people aren't out of education? That is seen, I think, by some in government as heresy. How dare he challenge that as if it's being obstructive? To to be honest, it's the opposite. My people are control freaks. They want to know what they would have to do in the case of a lockdown. So why don't we plan that? And it will reassure parents that there is a plan B if we were to need it. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. This is military chiefs apparently having drawn up plans uh, to mothball all of Britain's tanks under radical proposals to modernise the armed forces. Uh, they're looking at um, uh, basically the cost of upgrading Britain's ageing fleet of Challenger 2 tanks. We've got 227 of those. And also Warrior armoured fighting vehicles. We've got 388 of those. But apparently the cost of upgrading them uh, is uh, to support uh, support them on the battlefield. It has soared. Um, both vehicles were branded obsolete last year. The argument's been made that the MOD really needs to work on investing in cyber warfare, space and other cutting-edge technologies and uh, not uh, basically old-style tanks. Well, let's talk to Patrick Mercer. He's a former army officer and a former MP. Thank you very much for joining us, Patrick. 
Good morning, Julia. Good morning. How are you? Very well indeed. Lovely to speak to you. Um, uh, I mean, I say as an army officer yourself, uh, and uh, and of course uh, you serving in government. Um, it, it is extraordinary. I mean, tanks we would have thought were rather a crucial part of uh, you know the battlefield. Um, uh, how how on earth could it even be considered that we would scrap our tanks? Well, Julia, it's not really about that. Um, the the tank fleet and the warrior fleet have been terribly, terribly. Um, have been obsolete for years, to be perfectly frank. They're extremely expensive. The tank regiments and the warrior regiments no longer have access to all of their vehicles anyway um, under something called uh, whole fleet management. And therefore, what they're really trying to do is to make sure that the army cannot get involved in close combat. Because if it gets involved in close combat, it means casualties. And casualties are politically unacceptable. And I'm afraid our armed forces and our leaders of our armed forces no longer wish to get involved in that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, there is an element where we are constantly, when we are looking at uh, uh, any new investments in our military, we, we seem to constantly be fighting the last war uh, instead of fighting the next war. We learn the lessons from the last war uh, and, and then, we, and then we, we, we sort of misapply them, thinking that all future battles are going to be the same. Obviously, we need to invest in cyber warfare, but, but surely we're also going to need the sort of hardware that tanks provide. Uh, Julia, you're right. Of course, we've got to modernise. We've got to be capable of having equipment and having the designs and, and the ability to fight as long as there is a design inside the government and a determination inside the government physically to evolve in combat. Now, now I'd see no sign of that. The way that our armed forces have been constantly hollowed out, the fact that there is no political determination to get involved in operations overseas means that I don't believe that this country, unless things change very dramatically, will ever again get involved in foreign expeditions. In other words, we don't need armed forces of the size and shape and expense that we have at the moment if we don't intend to use them. That's what this is about. It's not to do with obsolete tanks and armoured yeah. personnel. Just, we're, we're just not going to be playing that role anymore. Absolutely, we're not going to be playing that role anymore. The political cost under the current judgment, the current woke judgment of this government and indeed previous governments, means that the cost is too high of exposing our men and women to combat. We're not going to do it again in a meaningful way. Um, the thing the thing about that is we often don't have a choice. Now, we might have had a choice. Do we go into Syria or not? Do we go you know, Iraq and Afghanistan? I would say we've learned the, long, the wrong lessons from uh, Iraq and Afghanistan there. But um, often we, 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 the, the choices are rather more limited. It's like the, uh, the getting rid of, uh, of our battleships and uh, our air force carriers and the like, and then facing the situation we had with Libya and, and realising, oh, oh, it's only the French that have actually got enough air force uh, you know, to carry. I'm going to use all the wrong terminology. Do apologise for that. I'm sure military people are shocked by this, uh, but but we just simply don't have the, air, the 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 military might that we do need when it is needed. And these things take you know ten years to build. Um, when we when we make these decisions, do you think that this is just a total lack of foresight? Uh, I, no, I think you're, you're approaching the problem from the wrong direction, Julia. If I may say so, um, we're simply looking now at ways that we can save money wholesale on our armed forces. And I come back to the fact that if we're not willing to use our armed forces, then why have them? Yeah, yeah, I suppose, we yeah. can't even we can't even deploy them. We won't even deploy them to go and help with flood defence up in Yorkshire and North Nottinghamshire. 
Um, well, that's a very far cry. You know, filling sandbags to prop up riverbanks is a very far cry from getting large numbers of soldiers, sailors and airmen killed in action. The political price is too high. There is not the courage to do this anymore. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.